From field to table and flame to fork, the pursuit of the outdoor connection is ingrained deep within one's spirit. The draw to the flame of a campfire is felt from around the world. Why do we hunt? Pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. JP, how is it going? It's going well, my friend. How about with you? It's miserable out. It's pissing rain. Yeah, it is, but eh? it's it's not snow anymore, so we we got that to be thankful for. You look yeah. like you're bundled up down there, though. Yeah, it's cold. It's uh, well, this morning it was raining, and I I rode my bike to work. And the, in the spring, summer, and fall, I try to ride my bike to work, get in shape for the hunting season, right? Define uh, cold, though. Define well, cold. it's right now outside. It's probably about thirteen or fourteen degrees, which isn't that cold. But my basement's not much warmer than that right now, so it's oh, kind of cool on. just sitting here. But uh, no, it's it's been a cold spring. I think all over BC, we've had uh, not a ton of rain, but it's just been really cold. Our snow line is still really really low here, and our oh. creeks are not running very much, so it's just not melting. Really, I, what I'm hoping we don't have is that that switch to to 35 degrees, because then we're going to have mm-hmm. flooding. I think it's yeah. going to be nuts if that happens. Yeah, and the province got crap kicked last year by the uh, by the flooding, and then we had the fires. And I I saw the other day was it yesterday that there was some fires around Kamloops and Falkland already and Shushwap and like, come on, we don't need that you know, already. I, I so want to have a, a wetter, cooler summer this year. I, that last, last summer was the least enjoyable summer was terrible. I've, I've had in my adult life. I mean, honestly, it was just terrible. And uh, I do worry a little bit that that's going to become the norm. I know like in BC, if we don't get our June rains, it seems like we're, mm-hmm. we're, sentenced to, to summers like that so anyway well I, I you know so putting that in perspective this cool weather with clear skies is actually better than yeah, that I'm not, so, I'm not complaining yeah yeah like we we noticed today that the last of our snow in the backyard the, the shadowy corner is gone so that's actually about a week ahead of schedule so not really sure what that means because we had that big dump in the beginning of april here we had about yeah, five right. inches or whatever it was like what the hell is going on but it stayed above zero pretty close to anyway ever since so what do you think of our last podcast loving off the land well, i thought that was great i uh oh. i, I love that conversation um you know those two are just fantastic and you know i, I said i think it, the intro to that podcast uh how many of us have thought about you know just trying to live off the land what we can grow what we can mm-hmm. hunt what we can harvest what we can fish all that stuff and and uh for virtually everybody it never goes past the you know the fantasy stage right but these people have actually done it and uh yeah i i i am just highly impressed by by what they've done and but i'm always highly impressed by people who who really take responsibility for their own food right and that's Mm -hmm. really what they've done and and actually for this podcast we've you know coming up here uh with steph i mean she kind of falls in that category too like here's a, a young woman who is uh you know a super interesting person she's a, a vegetarian married to a hunter mm-hmm. and uh has you know really taken responsibility for food in her own life and and uh yeah she's, she's got a pretty cool story too yeah it's another steph we had uh, chris and steph from loving off the land and now we got steph nikas i said right. that right didn't i yep, for, sure did. for this and she's she's one of our i hunt stars and uh a super popular video we had and we, we figured it would be a, a great fit to have her on to tell a little bit more of her story that she couldn't tell in the three to four minutes of video we got of her. So yeah, it's as they say, uh, when, when a marriage happens, sparks fly, right? And, yeah, that's but, right. But this was a conversation. I, I wanted to know how those sparks flew, but not in the sense that people would tend to think, right? A vegetarian marrying a hunter, that's, not normally what you'd expect, but I, I love how she gets into the the hows and whys of, of uh, how she supports hunting, and it, it was great. I loved it. No, absolutely, and I think her her perspectives are are great, and and she to me she really encapsulates a lot of what one campfire is about. I mean, really, what we're endeavoring to do is is bridge that gap between the hunting and non hunting community. Uh, so that we can have constructive dialogue and try to understand each other better, right? And uh, I think she's done that. Like she's somebody who who doesn't hunt, doesn't eat red meat. She eats fish, but doesn't eat, I guess, meat in general, other than fish. And uh, yet, 
is supportive of her husband's hunting because she knows that it's a uh, ethical, sustainable way to to bring meat into the house for mm-hmm. her family. And I think you know that's that's pretty danged open minded, right? And oh yeah, you know uh, that's kind of a rare thing in our society, it seems. And uh, yeah, I was I was really happy to have the chance to chat with her. Yeah, totally thankful for the almost hour she spent with us and uh yeah i don't think we need to give away too much so with that we will roll into episode 12 of the campfire conversations enjoy the perception of hunting you know has changed it's our duty now our responsibility as hunters to change it back and we've spent the last few decades trying you know, espousing that, that message, preaching that message about wildlife conservation. You know, we've, it's fallen on deaf ears, all of our attempts. I think what, what we have to do is, is maybe uh, appeal to the emotional side or the visceral side. We have to tell our story. We know what we are. We know how deeply we care about wildlife. It's just the people out there that are, that are you know, voting to get rid of hunting. They don't understand our stories. Sometimes we, we have to translate it to something that they understand. All right, here we are, Steve and Steph. Uh, this is our, what, 12th episode, I believe. Yeah, yeah, we, 12 or yeah we have uh, the uh, pleasure of having... Stephanie Nikas here with us tonight. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with us. Some of you may recognize her from our iHunt video series. She was one of our iHunt stars, uh, did a very popular video for us. So uh, really uh, grateful that she could take the time to talk to us tonight. Hi, everyone. All right. So um, I guess, Steph, what I would like to ask you, first of all, is just a little bit about you know yourself, where you, where you come from, your sort of your roots and and your path and, and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so were you, I, I know you're in the Kootenays now, where were you born? I originate from Ontario. So very, um, city, uh, not a lot of hunting, um, in the Southern or the Southern, um, regions there. So I didn't really have much exposure to any form of hunting until I was in my late twenties. So were you part of, were you just, uh, near the Toronto area and that, in that neck of the woods? Yeah, between London and Toronto. Okay, yeah. around there. So fairly urban, I guess. Quite, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. and then, when did you come to British Columbia? Um, when did I get here? I landed just before I turned twenty-six. Yeah, so it's been about nine years now. Nine years, okay. And what brought you this way? You know, just the usual mid-twenty <laughs> breakup. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Another friend coming out this way, and she said, "Do you want to go to BC?" And I said, "Yeah, let's do it." So she uh, she dragged me out here, and she's responsible for me being here now. <laughs> did you did you hit the Kootenays when you first got to BC? Uh, no, we started in the Okanagan. We were cherry picking. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then um, she had been to Nelson once prior, and she said, "I think you'd like it here. Let's go check it out." So we came, and we this is where we landed. And within a year of being here, uh, I met my partner, and so we've hmm. been together about eight years now. Wow. So yeah, it was quite the quite the change. I came from Vancouver to mm-hmm. Prince George about 15 years ago. So same sort of thing. Went from a population of million people or whatever it is to a population of 70,000. Went, oh, this is great. And a little bit of uh, a slower pace, we'll call it, uh, kind of grabbed me. Yeah. The Kootenai pace is very, very slow comparatively. <laughs> did you <laughs> Absolutely. Did you find the transition from a fairly urban upbringing in Ontario to the Kootenays a difficult transition to make or or was it something you welcomed? No, I think I welcomed it. Um, you know, I I went to school to be an esthetician. And by the time I got out here, like, I, I don't wear makeup to this day. And that's, it's one of those weird things where you come out here and you're like, I, you just leave every part of your life behind and you you don't look back, you walk forward. And uh, that's, that's what, how it happened. Um, I think mentally there were some adjustments, but yeah, otherwise it went pretty smooth, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel that one quite uh, quite deeply. The uh, you look back and it's like, how the hell did I live there for so long, and how did I adjust here so quickly? It's, I, yeah, you know it's what? I used, I used to get really excited to go home and get on a subway and run around and play in the city, and now I just 
I can't be bothered. I hit five minutes of traffic here and I, I can't do it. Oh, I know. Uh, I've talked about it before on the podcast, but I, I lived 11 kilometers away in a straight line from my work. I literally would come out of my driveway, yeah. turn left, and then I'd turn right. And sometimes it would take me 45 minutes to an hour each direction. Yep. And, and here it, it takes 20 minutes at best to go across town 15k in the snow and when we hit one of the three lights on the main drag here that takes more than two turns it drives you nuts and that today it, it's, it's just like why is crazy. it taking me more than five minutes to well, get through town <laughs> you know what's funny stuff i moved to the nelson area here about 16 years ago and uh when i moved here there was way less traffic than there is now i mean compared to most places it's still very lightly trafficked here but, you know, I hit the four-way stop at the West End of Nelson there, and you might have to wait mm-hmm. for two or three minutes. And, you know, I'm appalled by that because 10 years ago, you really didn't have to wait, you know. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, maybe I, I yeah. should compare this to other places I could possibly live. But, you know, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, it depends on your perspective. But for me, I think it's a double-edged sword. The uh, the West Coonies has not escaped the uh, the growth that we're seeing in other places too. So it is getting a little busier here. But, I mean, it's still a long ways away from uh, – you know, the uh, urban uh, regions of Southern Ontario, but uh, yeah, it's, it's different than it was. It actually. is. You know, Alex and I, we, every once in a while, we're like, oh my gosh, it's so busy here. What are we going to do? Like, where are we going to go next? Like, we're already like, maybe we need to start going a bit more North, but I don't really love the yeah. cold enough to go that far. Yeah. Well, I do think that oh, strikes just- a nice balance though. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's not hard to get out of Nelson and out into the wilderness here. Like it's, it can be mm-hmm. just a few minutes from town and, uh, yeah, I mean everything's relative, right? I think compared to a lot of places, this this area that we live, Steph, really does strike a nice balance between the amenities of of larger centers, but the uh, the benefits of a small town, at least in my opinion. Definitely. Oh yeah, I totally get that. I was at uh, JP's house what two weeks ago now. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. two weeks ago now, two three weeks ago now, whatever it was, and it's it's a twelve hour drive for me, and just just watching the. Uh, the landscape changes. I've been to Nelson before, but I'd never driven the way I had I, when I when I came down the first time. I landed in Castle Castlegar and drove in, and then we drove back, but we went through the Okanagan. So coming up through Slocan and uh, uh, New Denver, I think mm-hmm. it is, and up through through Caslow and all that, it was just crazy. the The difference in in how the the terrain changes and how you go from what looks like a, a, a small town in Nelson to these little tiny towns. And we're, we're just so, so blessed here in BC to to have that connection just hours away, no matter what direction we go, no matter how busy it seems. Yeah, definitely. So Steph, now you, one of the things that's interesting with your story is that, I mean, you're, you're a, a vegetarian who's married to a hunter. Um, now, did you grow up in a vegetarian household or is that something you, you, Nope. Adopted yourself? Nope. That's something I came into on my own um, when I turned about 20. Um, my mom was very, uh, she was, you know, a farmer's kid. So they ate chicken and cow and all the usual stuff. You know, one of my favorite dishes growing up was, was this Coca-Cola chicken that my mom would make. And, right, you know, like the thought of that really grosses me out right now, um, mostly because of the Coca-Cola. Um, but I'm not, I think, I hate to say this. Do you remember the book Skinny Bitch? No, I haven't. Rings a bell to me, but I'm not sure why. Okay, these two vegans, they had this book and then they had a cookbook, I believe, or a part two with recipes and convinced me to go vegan for a time. And it, I think it lasted about two months. But thereafter, I didn't, I just never went back to eating meat. So but they, they, they got their claws in real good. And that kind of, that stuck for until now. So, wow. Yeah. And, and, and so, what were your motivations for uh, no longer eating meat? Was it mostly ethical or, in, you know, environmental? What were your concerns? I would say initially for health, um, I was of that mentality of, you know, too much meat, too much dairy, um, inflammatory issues within the body, um, and kind of taking that route. Um, I also love animals. I have a huge affinity for them, and I just... Eventually, I think it became more of a moral issue where I started to understand, you know, not all meat is bad. And yes, you can have dairy and it's not going to be terrible for everyone. And um, it's still I can't look down the barrel of a gun at an animal 
and shoot it. So I choose not to engage in that. And, uh, I let them, I let them walk free. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds a lot, sounds a lot like my aunt. She's a meat eater, but my uncle was the one that got me into hunting Mm -hmm. going back 30 years. The first time he took me hunting some, but she's always said to him, I don't care. I will cook it for you. I will eat it, but I do not want to see any other part of it other than being in, uh, brown paper <laughs> and, and it's funny like he's he's told stories and he said i had an absolute huge buck in my sights and she was sitting there in the ground ground blind and she saw the buck first and she yelled at it run run he's got a gun run run he's got a gun and then yep. she realized what she'd done <laughs> she's like oh so the, the the rest of the hunting trip for them was was not as uh, pleasant as it should have been but yeah she's she's <laughs> essentially that type of person she's got no problem with it i love that. so so <laughs> you can relate yeah. to that stuff i can tell i can well, but hunting is so important in our lives now with feeding you know my family and feeding mm-hmm. my dogs and you know I, I i don't i can't say anything i can't yell at them to run away <laughs> no for sure but uh no yeah. but you know i get that too i you know I, i'm a hunter i've been a hunter for a long time but uh you know like you stuff i love animals i mean i i spend a huge amount of my energy and money in the conservation of wildlife, not, not in the mm-hmm. hopes that I get to, uh, you know, go out and slaughter them. That's not even a part of it. Honestly, it really isn't. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty active ducks, a limited member. I don't hunt ducks. I've shot one duck in my life and I'm, I, you know, I might hunt ducks someday. I don't know, but, yeah. uh, that's, you know, the, the value of wetlands and the wildlife that, uh, inhabit wetlands is, is what I'm drawn to. Right. And well, I was, I was just down at your place hunting turkeys. How many did we see in three days? Oh, lots. Yeah. Did and get not- any? No, no. Yeah. Nope. could have, could have, could have. It yeah. just, uh, well, it's kind of, it was actually they're, kind of funny because enough. this is actually kind of a funny story that we had access to a buddy of mine's place and, and he's a, he's a hunter and, and obviously supportive of hunting. And he said, well, you can, you can hunt on our prop, my property, but I've got, there's one old Tom that lives in the property that, uh, you know, is, is sort of semi-tame, right? Like he's been around for years and, and, you know, this, my, my buddy will feed him the odd apple, things like that. Right. And, uh, he says, so you can shoot any turkey, just don't shoot that one. And he's kind of the biggest Tom, right? And so we didn't really shoot a turkey because we weren't really sure which one he was. So, and we didn't want to shoot this guy's favorite turkey. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that was really the uh, the reason we didn't get one. But uh, we still had a lot of fun, so it was just fine. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I I still can con- consider it a successful hunt, right? Because we saw so much oh, wildlife. Yeah, we, like, yeah. we saw we saw elk and deer oh, nice. and turkeys everywhere mountain and goats just and, a yeah mountain that's right oh, and that cool. was just on just on one property yeah that was something <laughs> yeah just a day almost almost in one view actually it's quite phenomenal oh it was crazy so we, we got a little bit far ahead of ourselves here that was awesome <laughs> but yeah that was, that's what happens on these podcasts we kind of tangent yeah off. so i i want to know let's, let's go back to when you decided to become a vegetarian did you kind of transition into it slowly was it a mm, i'll kind of remove meat and see how it goes or was it nope. It was just a straight both feet in. It and- was a cold turkey. Uh, like I said, that those vegans, they really got to me. And I don't think I was even eating refined sugar because of how it can be processed. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Yeah, it was it was very fast. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, that's, I'm guessing that's, that's probably awesome. pretty normal. I think, you know, because for me, at least, in my opinion, which obviously can be wrong because it often is, uh, I would think making like diet is one of those things that usually changes last in cultures. Like if you look at people that move from other countries to Canada, they'll adopt Western dress, they'll adopt the language, uh, the jobs, everything, education, but the food is usually the last thing to change if it changes at all. Right. So it takes a pretty big shift to change food. So I think that in my opinion, for somebody to completely change their diet, it's, it's sort of an, it's, it's a, it's a all or none type of a thing. I would think for a lot of people, it's like, if you decide to, to no longer eat meat, it's, it's an ideological change that requires a complete buy-in in in my opinion. Is it, do you agree with that? I think for some people, yes. I think some people who desperately need to change their diets, um, going a little bit slower is easier for them to manage. Um, I'm kind of a all or nothing person. Um, and I guess going back and looking at it, you know, the number one thing that really grossed me out as a teenager was um, chicken wings. <laughs> so I think that like I stopped at some point eating chicken wings and then, okay. you know, um, but I still ate a lot of chicken that if I had to eat meat today, I would probably choose chicken, but I like chicken. So I'm not going to do that. 
Uh, yeah. So I think maybe there was more of a lead up that made it easier for me to do that than it would be for other people. Hmm. So in that case, so moving to Nelson, you, you know, obviously were vegetarian. And when did you meet your partner? Did you say? 2014. And that was in Nelson. That was in Nelson. In yeah. Nelson. Okay. <laughs> okay. Excellent. So, yeah. okay. So your partner then, when you met him, was he, was he a hunter at that point? No. Um, Alex didn't get his gun license until the fall of, I want to say the following year or two years after that. Yeah. Cause he was just starting to kill his first animals when our son arrived, which was in 2016. So I guess there was a little bit of learning there and he hung out with, mm-hmm. you know, started making friends with hunters and collecting his weapons and gear and everything that all of you guys need for that. So <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. yeah and and, and yeah. really like, I, I'm just really curious about this stuff. So I'm going to ask you some questions. So, okay. So you're, you're dating your partner and, uh, and now you're a vegetarian. He was a, a meteor, obviously, I guess at that point was he, or was he also? Yep. Vegetarian? Okay. And uh, so that you didn't have any issues being with somebody who ate meat, obviously. No, nope. right? okay. nope. he respected my choices. So I respected his. And then how far along into the relationship was it when you, when he started talking about wanting to engage in hunting and, and how did you feel about that? I don't think I loved it. Like I said, I think it had to be oh probably a year and a half into it or so. And that's when he went and did his gun license and he was showing a lot of interest in it. And, you know, he got into the whole meat eater thing and, uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't, honestly, I had a lot of things on my mind that year. I was expecting a baby. I'd only been with this man for a short amount of time and we're trying to make it work. And we've had to make a lot of sacrifices for each other, I think, to, to really, you know, have a, an agreeable union. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's a hell of a dynamic G- going from vegetarian to somebody that wants to become a hunter to ha- and having a baby all at the same time. That's quite the, 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 uh, the, the household will say. Right? A lot so, of fun. And then how do you, how do you agree to raise that child? Cause we have, exactly. we, we grew up differently. We have different perspectives on things and you know, I don't think, Meat was the first thing I gave my child to eat. He definitely was heavy on the vegetables initially. But right now we're expecting again. And I feel like I might take those steps with a, a new baby and just um, maybe try giving them liver rather than carrots first, <laughs> you know, and kind of see how that goes or make a, I found a recipe for, uh, well, it's, a, it's a meat formula. So you can make like, instead of giving them shitty formula from the store, you can give them meat formula. Hmm. Which, who knew? Yeah, that's right. No, yeah. I didn't know that. So if I can take more of these animals that he's bringing home and do something fun with them, then why not? Yeah, one of the things about a marriage, and you know, I'm married, been married for quite a while, is that in, in my observations of other marriages, that one of the things in my experience that predicts uh, success in a relationship is shared values. You know, whether those be spiritual values or, you know lifestyle values, things like that. It, it, it's difficult to have a really close relationship with somebody whose values don't align. I mean, I think that's probably can be self-evident in many cases. Now, by values though, this this is the thing is what is what is a value and what do values mean in this situation, right? That can become a little more complicated. Like you were you were a vegetarian, you were you're with your partner who is expressing interest in hunting. You weren't crazy about it initially. What was was it a moment or a process uh, that brought you to a point where you realize that this was a legitimate activity in in modern society if it's if it's done properly oh you know i think it was kind of a it was it definitely a process um that we went through where you know initially he'd go spend a couple hours out and i'd get mad that he was gone for those couple hours you know um and then he'd bring home a rabbit uh or a deer and i want nothing to do with it um i think it was actually after he brought home a pig, just a pig that he had bought. Um, and we butchered it together and packaged it. And I thought, all right, maybe I can do a little bit more of this. And, you know, we have lots of other friends in the hunting community now. And I have, um, a girlfriend who lives close to here and she's got, you know, farm animals that she raises and, um, watching her go through the process of, you know, her goats have babies every year. And then some of those babies get slaughtered at the end of the year. And that's, it's hard for me to interact with those animals, but I still do it anyway. Um, so I think it's just, you know, I think we both made sacrifices for each other. And I have these other people now in our lives that I love and they do the same thing. So obviously it's quite the community out here and mm-hmm. you either fit into it or you just don't. And I'd rather be a part of my community. 
So do you, do you have friends and family that are vegetarian? I had one cousin who was vegan for a while and she's back to eating meat again. (laughs) So I think I stand alone. Yeah. Just just curious how, if you had friends and family that were, how they would reconcile with you being married to a hunter, but that's a conversation we we can't really have. No, they, they're all on his side. I am. (laughs) Most of my friends are meat eaters. I have a girlfriend who, she doesn't eat a lot of meat and uh, she chooses to only eat happy meat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's, that's pretty cool. Go ahead, Jimmy. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, you know, I, I, just to be clear stuff too, both Steve and I have absolutely no judgments about anybody's diet at all. None whatsoever. Like if somebody wants to be vegan or vegetarian, that's perfectly fine for me. And it should be what's, it's not my business at all anyway. Uh, you know, and, uh, I think the interesting aspect of this isn't isn't really that you're vegetarian because there's millions of vegetarians. It's that you've been able to reconcile the you know the fact that you're a vegetarian living with somebody who hunts because for a lot of people on the outside looking in, uh, that that could be an insurmountable difference, right? In 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 worldview and value systems. But in, from my perspective, you can tell me what you think, Steph. I, I think that, and Steve and I have talked about this in the past gap between a hunter oftentimes and a vegan is pretty narrow because I think for me and Steve and and many others in our community, one of the things that, that keeps us hunting is the fact that, you know, if we're going to eat meat, we want the meat to be uh, as sustainable and ethically harvested as possible. Right. And, and for, for me at least, and I think, and I think many others hunting, hunting is probably about the closest thing you can get to that. As long as conservation is not a concern, obviously, if there's a a conservation concern, there shouldn't be hunting of that species, at least until it's recovered to a point where there's a harvestable surplus. But, but I mean, all all hunters pretty much agree with that, you know, licensed regulated hunters. That's, that's what we're all about. Um, But yeah, I think the, I think that is one of the interesting aspects of all of this is that how, similar we really are we we love animals we care about animals we want to see animals flourish on the landscape uh we love our domestic animals too i mean i have a dog who's like family member uh we have a cat that is scared of me but still love our cat and <laughs> i wonder why well, well, no only only likes females it's a male cat and is scared of me like i saw i saw the cat once oh yeah in that weekend yeah like he's i've never <laughs> never done anything other than oh the only time he likes me is when i'm gonna feed him and then he rubs up against my legs oh. and then when i pick him up he purrs and i pet him and then i set him down then after he's done eating he's scared of me again and i'm thinking like if i was gonna hurt you, you wouldn't have i done it at that point when i had you in my arms and rather than pet you but yeah he doesn't he hasn't figured that one out you know not all creatures are created equal no that's right <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah I'm, I'm the servant in that relationship or at least my family is but uh of course but anyway that that's this is the interesting thing is i th- and i think one of the things we've talked about many times is just how you know how similar seemingly disparate people can be in in what they actually value Sure. And I think that there's definitely a bridge between the two. And I, I, I feel like this is partly why you keep inviting me back. But um, I think when we understand that we're quite similar in what we value, then, you know, there's less of an issue. There's less fighting, um, less of, you know, PETA going after everyone. And, you know, when we know that they're not necessarily the best organization anyways to represent vegans. Um, yeah, I really... If, if people could take the time to sit down and have these conversations without anger, even then that, that goes a long way. I, I agree. I completely agree. Yeah. The, the emotional side is what unfortunately organizations do tend to grab a hold of, right. And they, they run with it. And you see some of the fundraisers are completely not factual, we'll say, and they, they grab the people that sit on the sidelines and don't really understand just how similar uh, vegans, vegetarians, and hunters and consumptive users are. It's, as, as JP said, and we've said it many, many times to each other, we, we all want to see the same thing. We want sustainable wildlife. We want pristine habitat. We want water. And we want it in perpetuity for our kids and our grandkids and their grandkids, right? It's yeah. it's the, the only difference between us is what happens to that animal at the end, right? It's... Uh, it goes one way with us and one way with you. And, mm-hmm. and speak, speaking of that, in the iHunt video, one of the things we, we kind of touched on it a little bit was you you were butchering an animal <laughs> in there. You, you had a, a, a quarter. Was it a bear? Yeah, it was just a bear leg. Yeah, and you, you were 
taking an active part in <laughs> that. So let's let's talk about that a little bit more sure. and how, how how you first reconciled that. Was that something that you said, you know what, I'm going to jump right in here or was it kind of a tiptoe in the waters? No, well, I mean, I always, I ate meat growing up. It wasn't, it's not unusual for me to cook it. Um, it was just wrapping my head around the fact that it was wild and it was walking, you know, not that long ago. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't love the smell in my house when I do things like that. Um, you know, someone walks in, they're like, oh, it smells like you're making stew. And I'm like, I'm making dog food, like actual dog food. And they like that. Um, so no, it doesn't gross me out when it's in that stage. I, had, I have a, like a no head, no guts, no skin kind of rule. Um, I'm not willing to do that at this point in my life, but if it's brought to me um, without a face on it, then I'm generally okay to help package and process and, and then, uh, yeah, just use as much as I can. I've got creatures to feed and it's much cheaper to make broth and meat and stew out of that stuff than it is to buy, you know, bagged food from the store. So do you do the majority of the processing in in the home? Like when a quarter save bears comes in, is that mostly your job at that point? Nope. So Alex does that. You know how it goes after a hunt when you've been out all day and you come home with this animal and you're like, it's 11 o'clock and we have to do something with it. Um, so Alex will do as much as he can. And there's been, I think there was one occasion where he was butchering in our basement and he was just too tired to keep going. It was elk. I think it was elk. Um, and he went to bed and I sat there and finished grinding up the rest of the meat that was there and then broke the grinder. Cause I found the bullet in the meat, <laughs> which they hadn't yet located, but yeah. There, so I don't play a front runner role. I, I just kind of assist where I can. That's huge. I, I know how, yeah. how thankful I am <laughs> when, <laughs> when an extra set of hands at 11 o'clock at night get, gets right in there. It's like, yeah. Oh, thank you. Like even, even if it's, not even a big game animal. Like we, we, we took a drive back from the Island uh, eight years ago or so. And we had a bunch of salmon in the back and we oh, didn't yeah. get home till damn near two in the morning. It was a long day. And I still had to kind of get them into something to get it into the fridge. And mm -hmm. it was okay. All hands on deck. It was, Oh, thank God. It's, yeah. it's, it's something you need to, to make that, uh, the true field, the table forest to table work. Yeah. Right. And you, we, we don't want to see any waste and by, by people jumping in and helping that kind of negates that. So it, it's huge. Part about this community out here, you know, Alex killed an elk out. He had to hike it 12 hours out and leapfrog it so that the bears didn't come get him. And he called in a buddy and he came and helped. And so, you know, here, mm -hmm. take this chunk home with you for, for helping. Like it, it's a huge process to deal with really, that. And I don't think people understand how much no. work goes into it. No, I, that, no, that's a good point. Actually. I think about, uh, you know, a lot of the animals we've, we've taken are a long ways from any roads. We have to pack them out. We had a, got a, uh, couple caribou a few years ago and it was three days of packing to get them back to camp. Um, mm -hmm. really cool weather. We didn't, it was, it was fine. We didn't have any bear issues that year, but you know, the relationship you have with that meat after three days of packing it is a lot different than, uh, just buy meat at the store. That's for sure. Because it, uh, yeah, you know, you're, I mean, you're intimately involved. Yeah. And you never forget it. And every time you have a meal of that meat, you, that connection with that animal is still there, you know? And I, th yeah. I think that's one of the things that is so powerful. I think that's probably why, you know, some of the most effective conservation organizations in the world are hunter based is because you, you have these epiphanies when you're doing this about just how powerful this all is you know, and how connected you are to this and, and how fragile it is, you know, how fragile all these yeah. systems are. And, you know, if, if you're not looking after them, nobody else is going to do it. And, nope. and uh, yeah, that, that connection that, you know, hunters and non-hunters too can have it as well. But I mean, hunting, hunting is kind of the easy way to get that connection because it's such a direct route. And uh, again, I think that's why many conservationists are hunters. So I got another question for you, Steph. So from the hunting side of things, have you ever gone out on a hunt? Not, no. I mean, we've gone and looked for creatures, but I'm very happy sitting in the car. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> but, but if we see something, he's not allowed to shoot it while I'm there. Right. So. Oh, I see. Okay. So he doesn't necessarily want right by his side when he's elk hunting. There. I mean, I think it depends on how desperate we're getting with the, our supplies in the freezer there, but I'd probably have to, you know, cover my ears and close my eyes and go for a walk. Well, sp well, speaking of freezer supplies, is, is most of the meat you eat uh, hunted meat or is it 
do you guys you guys also have some livestock type stuff too or no we don't have any livestock um uh well we went and picked up some bison um they're very happy bison from cranbrook area um so we got a little bit of that but i think it's mostly gone but no i refuse to buy meat from the store for the most part unless i'm specifically making something Mm -hmm. that calls for chicken or we're having a a gathering and i want to make you know something easy but i'm not paying for that meat at the store (laughs) not as good and it's I, I feel that now. one. <laughs> I feel that one. It's the same way. We got a freezer full of moose meat, a little bit of bear left, a little bit of deer left, and mm-hmm. but the only thing we'll buy when we we need it is is chicken. Yeah. And buddy of mine runs a a fishing charter out of the the west coast, like oh. uh, uh, Prince Rupert. So it's nothing for him to go. Oh, got a couple extra fish. Here you go. So yeah, we we tend to we we kind of shy away from from. Uh, mass produced we'll call it and uh, mm. try and support our local local butchers or or me right just being out in the yeah. bush and and getting getting my fix of the outdoors and if uh get lucky enough to take an animal that's a bonus and mm-hmm. it it definitely is easier on the pocketbook so i totally get that as well and uh it's so going out outside of hunting go to the outdoors if you're going to the outdoors for a weekend what do you like to do i'm lazy i like to (laughs) find like a nice warm spot and just soak up the sun if i'm outside um yeah especially right now yeah (laughs) you're waiting for the sun to come i'm like i just need a rock to lay on i'm pretty sure i'm part reptilian (laughs) this has been a tough spring for reptiles hasn't it it's uh it's been cool yes it's very late coming. Yeah, uh, I know. No, we, we do hikes and stuff, but, you know, generally speaking, we've got a young kid and we like to go and, you know, we go to Duncan Bay and, um, you know, go do some canoeing or swimming or just, you know, general family stuff at this time. What about fishing? Oh, I do enjoy a bit of fishing. Oh, okay. So you, you, you take yeah. part of that. Okay. That's... Yeah. That does- I, fish do not... I don't relate to them the same way that I do an animal. I okay. don't want to kill a fish, but I don't have a problem eating them. Okay. Oh, so you eat yeah. fish then? Yeah. Excellent. Okay. If I, if my body says eat it, then I will eat it. Yeah. Right. Okay. So yeah. what's your favorite fish when your, your body says I need fish? Oh, I mean, we have a lot of trout here, so, but I much prefer halibut, but we don't have any halibut close by. Yeah. Halibut. Next time I'm down, next time I'm down in, uh, bring some fish? Nelson, I'll bring some halibut for you. Perfect. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. No worries. Yeah, my son and I are doing a three day, uh, uh, fishing trip at Kitimat this summer. So uh, halibut, okay. halibut's one of the species we're going after as well. So I, I agree with you. Halibut and cod are two of my favorites. I like yeah. salmon too, but uh, you know, but you know, that's the thing about fish in our family is virtually all the fish we eat are fish that I catch or my son catches. Right. Like yeah, I, like here. we just never buy fish, but we, we catch it and we eat it. And I love it. Like I, I have a smoker. I smoke a lot of fish and, and we eat a lot of fresh fish too. And uh, my family loves it. My daughter is not a huge meat eater. Uh, she just doesn't, like a lot of meat she just doesn't like, but she really likes mm-hmm. fish. So that's always, you know, it's pretty important for us to have fish in the, in the house. But uh, so where did you said Duncan Bay? Is that, are you, are you talking about Duncan Lake or is there a different bay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, Duncan Lake. It's Duncan Lake. Sorry. It's Duncan Lake. They can, okay. Yeah. That's, what do I know about it? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, Duncan Lake, that's my stomping grounds. I have a cabin up there. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I spent a lot of time up there. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. The water is warm. Oh it, yeah, he, he it's under- rubs it in with all the pictures. Rubs it in with all the pictures, and we yes, didn't go yeah. there when I was there. So Steve always wants me to do podcasts on the weekend. I can never do them because I'm always at the lake, so it's tough. It's uh-huh. hard to. That's why we're doing this at seven thirty uh, on a weeknight, right? That works for me. Yeah, but oh, good for you guys. That's fantastic that you guys get out and fish up there. That's it's nice country. It's uh, oh, the last. It's pretty wild. The last pod. Yeah, last podcast we had uh, was what a, a Friday morning, and you were itching to go to your cabin and i i kept holding on to the podcast I mean, you want to go to your cabin yet we're not done just <laughs> I could see him itching <laughs> yeah i was leaving right after the podcast and i was you know, i was going fishing came, so i was pretty back, pretty antsy to go came back and sent me, picture, drive, sent me a picture of what how, how many kokanee were you throwing in the smoker uh 30 yeah wow yeah exactly and i'm sitting there going all right that's no fair. Yeah, we still got some good. ice on some of our lakes here. Yeah. Oh, I, I love I love kokanee. I mean, and and smoked kokanee on on a bag with some cream cheese, little thinly sliced red onion, and some capers is pretty hard to beat. Oh, see, what, I don't like my fish smoked. Oh, you don't like it smoked, eh? Yeah. No, I think I'd rather eat it raw or cooked. 
Like uh, seared. I like them. Yeah. I like them fresh and just fried. I like to, you know, just fry in the frying mm-hmm. pan too. Or we, we bake them quite a bit too in the oven. And, and I like that as well. Right. But you got to try that, try that coconut crack recipe I sent you. I will. Well, I've got a few unsmoked ones in the freezer and I'm going out again Do this it. weekend to go fishing. So if I get more off to try that. You, you guys got to try this stuff, you and your hubby. If, you if just you send me the recipe? You get some coconut. Basically, you, you cut it into little cubes and you wrap it in a deep fry, like a deep fry batter. Okay. And put it in uh, crushed up uh, cornflakes and deep okay. fry it. Deep yeah. fry it like little nuggets. Oh, <laughs> so awesome. good. But I'll, I'll write it out for you and awesome. we'll get it to you. You'll absolutely love it. You can do that with chicken too. Yes. With chicken with, you put some mayo on it and put roll it in cornflakes and it keeps it mayo. really super moist. Yeah. Mayo. I've, I've seen people put mayo on steak. Mm, that's a fun one. Yeah, my my I've, one of my my husband partner does that. He'll he'll uh, fry steaks. He'll put a big slather of mayo on each side and fry them, and the mayo goes away, oh. like it becomes clear. But uh, yeah, it's really quite good. What's well, mostly oil, right? Well, that's what it is, right? What, I think it's just the fat. Yeah. yeah. One of the craziest ones I ever had was going back, God, twenty some odd years ago. We had steaks at a buddy's place, and his parents had wrapped steaks in newspaper. And soaked them in water for 24 hours and then peeled them off. And it was the most tender steak you would ever, ever dream of. It was, you didn't taste, I was like, what? You're, you're screwing with us, but. Where do these techniques even come from? Yeah. Who's the first person to do that? eh? I'm going to wrap this newspaper and put it in water. Yeah. It just, I I don't get it. Yeah. But let's think outside the box. Right. And well, we'll try it. If it's terrible, we don't eat it. We don't do it again. That's wasted food. Oh yeah. Speaking of waste, I imagine that's, (laughs) that's a big, that's a big part of uh, why you're, you're okay with the hunt, right? Is uh, there's no, no essential waste, right? Use it all. Exactly. You're you're mentioning dog food. Like what do you do? What's the process for dog food? Um, So Alex is, fall bear we took and we ground the entire thing and i just Mm -hmm. take that and throw it in a pot with whatever vegetables um that i think they need in fruits and stuff and whatever's left over from the scraps of that right so we take the leftover bear scraps we grind it all up and i use that to make dog food and make it like in a giant pot with broth so that i can i can give my other dog the broth because he does better on dry food randomly okay yeah Huh? And your and your dogs are fairly enthusiastic about eating that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they if I give them like just regular food from the store, they just look at me like, "What? What? What is this?" <laughs> yeah. You, you spoiled. Them. They're very spoiled now. But it, it's honestly, it's like it's just any scraps that we have. I, you know, sometimes I have to buy liver from the store just to beef mm-hmm. it up a bit. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's that's what a, a lot of people that they they don't understand about about hunting too is we we try and utilize as much as possible. And as you said, dog food and bones for the broth. And I, I know some people that, uh, well, one guy up here, he's a butcher for wild game meat and mm-hmm. he, he gives away all the, the rib bones and the cartilage and stuff His dog chew toys. And that's amazing. Oh yeah. And whatever doesn't get, uh, consumed or used by uh, a human gets returned to nature and you can yep. go back to that dump pile in 24 hours and it is gone oh, so, I bet. oh like all the scavengers the birds and the, the foxes and the lynx and the wolves and the coyotes and you name it they're they, they, they get their smorgasbord so there's there's no there's no real real waste right it's it's where a is true... he taking it is there like is there danger to put like hunters around here some of them are really shitty and they will dump their innards right at the bottom of a logging road oh wow right so where i'm just curious like where would you even take that that it's far enough away as as far away from uh civilization as possible there's a legality that says it can't be within a certain distance i think it's 400 meters or something of an occupied dwelling i'd have to double check but or anywhere that humans can reasonably be expected to encounter it so you can't dump it in your trail systems or yeah. right ad- adjacent to busy roads so as long as it's back in the bush you're you're good okay so yeah it's last thing you'd want to do is have a dump pile which you yeah. have seen and come across yeah. a grizzly bear that's quite protective of it so it's yes. not a good situation right 
No, especially this time of the year and they're all waking up. <laughs> that's right. They look for that easy food source <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you could be it if uh, that's you, right. you come across it at the right time, wrong time. I like to stay out of their way. Yeah. yeah. Well, there, but there's very, yeah. very little waste in nature. I've kind of been, last year, we, my hunting partner, I went up north and we went moose hunting and we went to the spot where I had shot a moose two years prior. Um, and that's where we'd like, it, it was on the ground there. So we, you know, we field dressed it and we hauled it out of there. But of course you still have some of the gut pile and the blood right left behind. Mm -hmm. And yep. there was, it, it's, it's pretty poor soil up there and, you know, lots of scrubby little willows and bunch grass, that sort of thing. But where that moose had died and where he'd processed it was about a 12 foot by 12 foot, uh, patch of just super green luxuriant grass you know the nitrogen oh, yeah. yeah the nitrogen was was well used you know it just this goes to show that all these all these parts and pieces just continually get recycled over and over including the stuff we're made of we're, we're we're part of that too eventually you know that's a new thing that's there's a company in in the states that's doing that they'll take your body and they'll put you in a big container and they'll turn you into soil oh is that right and then, and then they'll bag it up and give it back to your family and they can do what they want with it yeah i saw something about the being planted with a tree or something or, or mushrooms yeah. or something. How does that make you feel JP? You you're a mushroom. Well, I'd love to be part of my celial mat someday. That'd be, that'd no, just imagine picking somebody else. You, you <laughs> never know some of these morels you're picking and Oh no, that's, that's cool, no, I, I love somebody that. Else. I, 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 that. One of the things I'm actually really drawn to with, with my views of nature is, is that connectedness between all these living and non-living things. I find it just incredibly appealing. And, uh, you know, when she started, this is a whole other rabbit hole. We were not going to waste your time with this stuff, but I'm, I'm, I'm a big so mycophile. I like picking mushrooms. Yeah. He really and, is. Uh, you know, once you start learning about uh, how important fungi are to forest ecosystem health mm -hmm. and how incredibly complicated these systems are, they're so sophisticated. They're like neural networks. They are. And, they're uh, like trees, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they're, you know, they, they connect the forest in a way that we had no clue, of, you know, a few decades ago. Mm -hmm. But anyway, you, you realize just how beautiful this whole system is. And, and uh, it again, it's once you learn about something, then you want to protect it. You you, you you can no longer claim ignorance, right? You want to make sure that, you know, this this beauty, this wonder, and this, you know, this nature is, is, is allowed to persist and we don't destroy it. But, yeah, it's... Uh, that that connection between these things out in the wild and, and and how they've evolved together over millennia to function so beautifully together is is really a wonder. I, I really always just really appreciate that any time about the wilderness. Um, yeah, mushrooms are great. You should be out there looking for morels right about now. I know it really should be, and I, I I'm probably going to. I just uh, you know probably. <laughs> yeah, well, I will. The time is time is short. I, I've done most of my mushroom uh, hunting in the. I'm a late summer fall guy for the most part, but yeah, morels are definitely something I like to pick. Yeah. They're one of my favorite yeah, mushrooms to eat as well. They're starting to pop up here, so they're definitely coming up. Oh down yeah, there. They, they are. People are finding them. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine sent me a picture last weekend from the Mabel Lake area up by Lumbee Vernon. Mm -hmm. And they had a couple of burns over the last couple of years. And oh, yeah. first time out, she brought back like three, four pounds or whatever it was. And I, okay. And that was for a brand new mushroom hunter. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. once you find morales, like if you find a good patch, I mean, like you can just pick so many, right? But oh yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've found a few morels in, in my life and I've had people go, Oh, look, I found a morel. I'm like, no, I know that's a false. So is that something you like to do there, Steph? When you get outside, do you get to a chance to forage for like berries or mushrooms or anything? Yeah, totally. Um, I have a couple girlfriends who are super into mushroom hunting. So we went out last fall um, and they actually did pretty well off of that. I didn't know it was quite oh, it can be yeah, the thing yeah. around here. Yeah, you can take it and sell it, yeah. um, which is awesome. Um, I much prefer berries, but... I know that there's a lot of humans out there stealing the huckleberries from the bears. So again, I try to do most of my own growing at home if I can, but herbs um, like the mushrooms, you say, like they're so crucial to human health that if you can mm -hmm. find a good one around here, why not? Well, Just, we're, you know. we're lucky in the West Coonies here. It's, it's an interior rainforest. So we, uh, you know, we have a lot of mushrooms. Once the rains start to fall uh, later in the season. Yeah. It's one of the best places I can think of to be a mushroom forager. But Steph, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, just your your lifestyle in general at home like you guys obviously your husband your partner hunts and uh you know you use those animals and then you you obviously grow a lot of your own food uh what is your what does your season look like like typically you know spring and summer are the productive seasons for growing food what 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 kinds of things do you engage with 
Oh my gosh, there's, what do we have going already? I started my tomatoes in like early, early February. So some of them are like three feet tall and like ready to go. Um, yeah, it's busy time. We are ripping the tarps off the garden. We're, we're out there every day watering. We've got greens and beans and cabbage and broccoli and just everything that I can squish into that garden this year is going into it. Um, so usually by the time we get to end of September, October, and we've, you know, we've had successful hunts and we're canning and we're, we're making all the sauces and everything. And I usually just, by the time I get to October, I'm like, I'm done. I'm done with this season. I'm going to hibernate. That's the beauty of winter. You know, you can't grow anything, so you got to take it easy. Oh yeah. But then you have like two months off and you're like, all right, I got to start the babies now. And you start planting everything all over again and, and nursing yeah. them. And like, yeah, yeah, it's quite the process, but I can't. I get a lot of enjoyment having a full pantry full of things that I put into jars myself. Oh, that's hugely satisfying, isn't it? Yeah. And this year we have a pressure canner, so now we can actually can the meat that we bring home. Oh, I've never done that. I've, I've never canned any meat. It just just goes straight into the freezer. But that's that's something I've been curious about. Uh, mm-hmm. is, I, is it easy? Like you've done it before? No, I haven't. It's my first oh. year doing it. So I'm oh, super okay. about it. But, you know, we used to have four freezers and two of them died yeah. this year. And Ouch. then we have so many power outages. We're like, what do we do? Do we drag the freezer out into the snow? Like to mm-hmm. keep all that meat um, preserved properly. It's I think it's even worse than just spending the time to jar it up. But, yeah, you know, it's like pressure cooking it, right? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, that's probably why it's, it's a can some. That's, that way, if you have a freezer outage, you're not going to lose everything. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it will. I don't have enough jars to do an entire animal, I don't think. but <laughs> Not anymore. People bought those all two years ago and they panicked, right? <laughs> so, so, Steph, we're, uh, we're sneaking up on an hour here. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us. And uh, I guess the last thing I'd really like to ask you is, you know, because... I mean, your story has been very popular and people have had a lot of questions about you and your story uh, with the the iHunt video. Because the divide between the non-hunting and the hunting community can be can be pretty large uh, and, and kind of destructive sometimes. What, for, I mean, you're, you're somebody who's bridged that divide, I think, because you, you live in a household that hunts, yet you've maintained your your diet of you're vegetarian and you've been able to reconcile those things what would your advice be to people who are maybe on the polarized edges you know of that divide that's a really good question i think you know love conquers all really um you can you know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover and i think taking the time to meet people and actually listen to them and um you know hopefully they're not shitty people we still come up against really awful hunters here who just want a trophy. Um, And, you know, my partner would be the first person to report those people. So I think for people in my community, um, it's really about tolerance. You know, we tolerate you, you tolerate us. Um, And I I think it's just that easy. I really do. Well, that's well said, Steph. I I would say that Mm -hmm. that actually makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Need Need more of that. All right. Well, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to talk with us. And um, yeah, well, I hope you have a very productive uh, growing season and we get some warm weather so you can actually get out planting. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And you as well. Thank you very much. All right. Okay, guys. Thanks thanks. for having me. Take care.